0: Peace to the public and power to the people. My name is Miles Xavier, aka Hazelnut Tones, aka Young Aids, my brother in the building, it's Chestnut Tones. You know what I'm saying? That's Way Gila. And this is the All the Way Live podcast, where the vulnerable are powerful,
1: and the most gangster thing you could do is serve church. That is exactly true, Mr. Miles Xavier. I want to welcome you, everybody else that's listening, our whole Live House family and everybody that's been rocking with us to the All The Way Live podcast and what we do over here, man, is we give people that carefully curated content for their cranium. My brother... And I dedicate ourselves to researching and unpacking some of the more difficult current topics that are happening. We've been unpacking Ukraine that's been happening. We've been engaging with some of the activists and the folks that are doing that good work over there, you know, staying true to our work. Uh, we, we, we apply ourselves. We apply ourselves and we do it for one reason, Mr. Miles-Xavier. Big facts. One reason only. There's only one reason that we do this for, and that reason is to be a space of positivity, is to be a space of motivation, and, to, and it's to be a space where people can come through, take a bit of this energy, man, and keep going through their day, because we know people are going through it. We know that mental health, mental health is at an all-time low. We know that depression is at an all-time high. We know loneliness is at an all-time high. All of these things, man. And if we can be that for you for even a second, then we would have done our job over here. Man, so welcome to the (laughs) shout.
0: Yes, sir. We are a handshake, a hug, and hold you down for an hour a week. Uh, this is the All the Way Live podcast, which means that Joe Berg is in the building by way of Exeter. You know what I'm saying? My brother is here, which is so important today. We're gonna get into that in a real, real, real way today. I'm so excited. Uh, but you already know what's going on. Chicago is in the building. This podcast is recorded on Stolen. Land. This land was cared for by the Potawatomi people, and the violence done to remove them from this land is inseparable from the violence that we see in this city today, this country today, and this world today. So with that, we lift up love for indigenous people the world over. We lift up love between black and brown people the world over. We're forming coalitions. We're making things happen. We're trying to make, like, connect to the people that are doing the work. We got some exciting news about that, too. Like, it's really real out here. That's the intro, man. Let's get into the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. But
1: is we live, though? Is we like all the way live, though? You heard? Mr. Miles Xavier, what we do over here at the show, man, is we like to highlight some of the people that are doing that good work, people that are out there in the field, in their communities. Community work is a big part of what we do in our personal lives, big part of what we do in our professional lives. And so we like to lift up the people that are doing that stuff, man. This week... We are sharing the work done by the folks in Chicago, Good Kids, Mad City, and Englewood.
0: Yes, sir. I love how you brought us in too, because it's this is a point where our personal life and our professional life connect in a big way, right? Even the title, Good Kids, Mad City, is a reference to Kendrick Lamar's album. We're big fans of Kendrick. Shout out to YouTube audience to see the TDE, the TDE gear that my guy like right now. You know what I'm saying? Like so it's so that album means a lot to us. Apparently it meant a lot to a group of youth in Chicago as well who formed Good Kids Mad City. It's a youth-led organization that aims to bring resources to underserved communities and promote safety by emphasizing community empowerment, right? Um, and I've just been amazed and, and humbled by the work that they've been able to do as I've, like, you know, started to, to wade into... The, the network of community support in Chicago uh, as an aspiring organizer and everywhere, all the spaces that I've been called to be at, they've been there, organized, right? And this is a group of young people. Um, so their, their list of uh, services that they provide to the community includes a leadership development curriculum, for these young people that are getting civically engaged in their communities, interactive volunteer projects, job training. They have a food pantry. So you already see him, bro, a lot of overlap from the things we do. Uh, so this is a this is an organization that I thought it was important to shout out.
1: That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible work. Uh, shout out to good kids, my city. It's always very encouraging when there is a time for the organized people, at least let me say the or, organized organizations, when there's a call for them to step up and they do when they do so in such a professional manner. Um, and in such a, a, a high standard. I think that's always very cool to see. I think that increases everybody's everybody in the field has to be able to adjust to that, you know, because they're a point of reference for people to. Uh, look at in terms of how to model themselves o- organization-wise on how to do the same type of thing, man. So it's, it's dope to see that being led by young people that care about their city.
0: Yeah, fire, fire that you mentioned, that organization, like, in the model too, right? They have a diversified leadership model, which means when you go to their website, there's no, like, about us that has, like, oh, this is the person that's leading it. This is really a collective of youth that have really, like, found a way to have impact as a group. Right. And and that kind of the who's who's in charge, who's leading it fluctuates uh, and the emphasis is on the work. Right. So that's that's amazing um, in itself. Right. So and also when you talk about the professionalism of an organization, especially in nonprofit, it's about having the demands at the forefront, like the clear things that you want. Right. So a couple of the things that I've been able to that I've come across that they're advocating for is one of them is their peace book ordinance which is to reallocate 2% of the police budget towards mental health services and school resources and other basic necessities and communities um, that are overlooked in Chicago and discriminated against, right? So that is like a very clear thing that, they, that they're that they working towards. They have on their website links to be able to donate and support a lot of the different initiatives that they have going on. Uh, so go check them out. It's a gkmc 18, uh At that, at on uh, Instagram and Twitter. So go check them out. Uh, Amazing work, bro. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's always, it's always so important to be able to highlight this type of thing. Um, Miles, you, you were busy saying about the particular initiative of the 2%. What does it look like in practice in order to be able to get something like that to actually happen and go through? And where are they in the process? If you know.
0: I'm not sure where they are in the process as of now. Um, if, if anybody from Good Kids is, is hearing this or or you know is in is in connection with me, hook me up. Let me know what's going on. But I know that uh, one way that you achieve that is pressure, bro. You you apply pressure and you apply that pressure consistently. So you so you call for this and you look at what's what's happening. Like earlier last year, Lori Lightfoot allocated 250 million dollars of COVID relief towards the Chicago Police Department, right? Like that's a lot of money going towards the boys in blue and communities are saying that they, they need that money and they know of organizations that there are organizations that are stakeholders that are standing up that are closer to the public that maybe can use that money in a way that uplifts people in a way that people want that money to be allocated. So if you, if we're hearing things like this, that we know where the money's not going, where we want it to go, continuing to call that out, continuing to be vocal about that is one way. Um, and so I just think that this organization is, is amazing because the other way you do that is you continue to educate people around you, right? So they have education platforms to inform people about what their, these, the, these ordinances, these policy level things that they want to advocate for are, but also to advocate for people in the meantime while we address these policy issues to learn how to take care of themselves and community. So they do this thing called treatment, not trauma, um, which which would redirect mental health crises calls to mental health professionals instead of re- relying on ineffective policing. They're finding solutions that are community-based, right? Rather than relying on these institutions. But we're still holding these institutions accountable for both the funding that our tax dollars and where that's going, and for the harm that they're doing in our communities.
1: And this is stemming from a push from the Black Lives Matter movement where it, the big... Called to ju- call to justice in that movement was defunding the police specifically in Chicago. Now, I can't say that's something particularly that I agree with in the sense of defunding the police and how it was stated. But I do agree that there does need to be a reallocation of how those funds are distributed, specifically to schools in Chicago. Wait a minute! Wait given a
0: minute. you just said the say you just said two opposite things. You said you agree <clears throat> with defunding
1: the police, but you think that the funds should be redistributed. I said defunding the police how it was prescribed in the movement, which was complete defunding of the police. And I said, I don't agree with complete defunding of the police. I do believe in re- redistribution of funds, though, which doesn't mean that the police get totally defunded, but that budget is also allocated towards yeah. specifically schools in Chicago. It was multiple conversations. There's,
0: so I just want to be clear that Good Kids, Mad City, their proposal was that 2% of the police budget, which I think... And that's first, what I like. ...was 35 35- was $35 million, which is crazy, right? Or, But, like, there's a different... There's levels to this, because I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss abolition movements of the police, right? Because a lot of times when people hear abolition, they hear the removal, the complete removal of police. But actually what abolition movements and abolitionist teaching is about is how do we create the structures that mean that we no longer need police? right? Mm. What does it look like to actually put and invest in the different programs that support people from a people-focused perspective, right? Like, in terms of mental health care services, in terms of responses to mental health crises, right, in real time, in terms of not addressing drug addiction problems or problems that really are to do with structural and social work issues as criminal issues, right? So... When, you, when we say a lot of people get real, when you say abolish or defund the police, a lot of people jump to, like, oh, we're going to wake up tomorrow and there's no police? Who's going to protect me? But that's really not your... That's a really quick thought. It's really about how do we create a society where we as communities care for each other where the where police aren't as necessary. And also thinking about what do police really do well right now? Yeah. So
1: I just wouldn't be so quick. I just That's what I'm saying. Uh, thanks for that, that clarity. That is a, a big distinction in how abolition movements actually like apply in practice, which is investing in things around the community that make it less dependent on police presence. But it does get difficult in a place like Chicago, specifically the South Side, and, in, and a lot of um, communities of uh, people of color in the U.S. is that they're heavily policed in a way that is not fitting to, that is not equally distributed. So a big part of that is also why there is the largest number of uh, people in prisons are people of color, specifically black men. And that speaks towards how broken the, the policing system is at the moment. Big facts, big facts.
0: And yeah, there's, I mean, there's different contexts to policing internationally. But yeah, I think it's just important to think about like, when I look at the police, I see one job that has 100 different jobs in it, right? And so my, my thought when you hear defund the police, it is, it, it is um, an aggressive statement in the sense that there is a need for accountability for the harm that police have brought to communities, particularly in the context of the United States, and particularly in the context of communities of color in the United States. So there is a call for that. And and so it people when structures are attacked aggressively, people respond in a way that represents like our nervousness and our desire for things to stay the same in a lot of ways. So I understand, especially from with an international context, that removing the police in a lot of ways seems like an issue that's that something that's untenable. But we got to think about how like think about the capacity of our communities, right? Take a strengths-based approach and look at like. But what could we do? How affect like, in, in a place like Chicago, which you mentioned, right, we have all of these shootings, we have all of this violence going on, and we think, like, oh, if we remove police, it'll be so much worse. But actually, how effective are they being in preventing violence? They're
1: not, right? Like, but you have to look at what happened in New York after the police, uh, a big portion of the police just effectively decided not to work following the Black Lives Matter strikes, and gun rates went through the roof, stabbing rates, robberies, crimes
0: that's but that's but that's exactly see when you remove something like that that and when you remove the police because the police said we're not going to show up to work or something like that of course that's what you're going to have happen but that's exactly the opposite of what I'm talking about I'm talking about putting structures in place in preparation with okay. the intention to support the communities without the removal of police without police in them before you remove police right so like there's a there's a big difference between the police Quitting and saying, oh, hey, look at what happens when we refuse to patrol the streets one day and saying, actually, we're going to look at from a policy perspective at how much money if taxpayers money gets allocated where in this city. And actually, we're going to redistribute it so that the things that address the root causes of violence, the reason people commit robberies, right? You ain't got no money. Rob somebody with some money right when we talk about the people that are hungry the people that are mentally ill the people that could actually be addressed if social workers got some of those millions right if trauma informed mental professional mental health care professionals got some of those millions of dollars right if workforce development people that were working to put jobs together for people that have had, that have been justice involved or who the education system has allowed to fall through the cracks, if those people had millions of dollars. And we gave those them those people those millions of dollars first and then started to look at what it looks like to remove the over-surveillance and over-criminalization of people of color in these communities in an intentional way. Not just we quit one day, but let's think about this.
1: What could we yeah. do? it's It's quite particular in the u.s because again people of color are the mi- minority in the u.s and so the la- a large pop- percentage of the population is quite unaware if you will of the realities that some people face and to them that issue is as real as a war in ukraine where it is a atrocity and sure you can feel bad about it but because it's not near you and you're quite removed from it, you'll never have to engage with it, therefore it doesn't exist. And so the type of momentum it would take to galvanize, like we saw in the Black Lives Matter movement, you need that same level of push, but from a infrastructure, from an institutional level, where you're now um, doing things like you have mentioned, which is going through the process of setting up the funds that will go to help the community. Because in that, there's a process in there and how it's received. And yeah. you're somebody that applies for these um, these types of grants and you work at the high level with institutions that um, are that work with the with you know these sorts of cash the money that comes in to help the community do you think that people that organizations now could accommodate that type of influx of cash or you know would it be a case where there's a lot of thievery that happens in it or is it something that is um, that can happen immediately like can happen like this more money equals more impact
0: I think in the United States, you have a situation where the organizations that want to have that impact are all clamoring for a small amount of funds, which puts them in competition for each other. So I think if you increase that pool of funds, then and and you look at the people who have a track record of doing the work, and these are these organizations are serious. These are organizations that have put evidence based practices into their work in an effort to be competitive for these funds. So they 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 are prepared in a lot of ways to to accept these funds right i'm not saying that every program is going to have the exact impact that it proposes to have i'm not going to say that that there aren't complications when there's a huge influx of money and that some people aren't going to abuse that right but I, but what i am saying is that we have so much we have invested so much money in policing and we've invested so much money in in the status quo that we're now at a point where that's, that's clearly not working. Violence continues to go up, right? And so, and it continues to get worse, continues to diversify, right? From just shootings that are, that are gang involved to now carjackings, right? Of innocent people. And, and putting the pressure on the communities, is it, putting more pressure on these communities isn't, has not been the solution, right? So we need to invest in them. Like, take a, the, again, I, I love the, the policy clarity of Good Kids in Bad Cities call. 2%, start with 2%. And when 2% yeah. is millions, okay, but you have to also be prepared for when that starts to work to continue to, to yes, defund the police, right? Like, like and, and I, again, defund is aggressive language because there's accountability that they have to have. And particularly in this American context, particularly in the Chicago context, shout out to the Chicago Torture Justice Museum from victims of violence that the police have perpetrated against Chicagoans, right? So like... There's a deep history of, of abuse of police power here, and there's a, there is a wealth of data and information that shows that a shift toward investing in other things can have a positive effect on violence.
1: On that note of positive effect, um, I think we have segued almost perfectly into, um, into the next section of this content that we have curated for people. Yeah, let's go. Yo,
0: the kid's official sliding on the instrumental. Nordic combos twisting mental like forbidden was My click's initial. With- <laughs>
1: Psych. <laughs>
0: leave it in leave that in I like it. yo i can't lie man i've been excited for this all week bro i've been excited for this right here man listen listen uh today on our stumble upon segment we are going to um find out a little bit about each other or at least share a little bit of of each other with the world and i think that's beautiful um can i start can can we can we spotlight you first um, for sure,
1: and if we're just, you know, letting the folks know exactly what it is we're gonna be getting into, is for this particular stumble upon section, we figured that we'd open up this conversation into, like you said, sharing ourselves um, and kind of interviewing each other. So as always, you know, the, this over here is an open conversation, so do feel free to jump into the chats if you have questions, we'll read them live and, you know, we can all engage and open this conversation even further. I like the questions that you had. Um, I almost want to mirror them, but uh, definitely, please do start. Um, I'll be more than happy to to be the first interviewee. Dope, 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 dope. All right. So, like,
0: let me get right because this is gonna be this is gonna be important one day. Like, this is gonna be like archived, museumed, documentaryized. Like, this is important, right? So, please, please state your name for the record
1: oh man this is a police investigation is what it is I've seen enough of those I've seen watch enough
0: of those police. that's what we do while we edit the podcast we watch police investigation videos
1: so this also yeah.
0: have a tint of that it's going to be great
1: and if you also want to go down that rabbit hole that uh, JCS it's, uh, that's the name of the of, of the, the channel JCS they're interviewing these dudes it's crazy it's nuts it's nuts alright sir state your name uh Zula Kegila aka Chestnut tones
0: I appreciate that I appreciate that So my guy like this has been you you lived in Venezuela you've lived in Germany you've lived in South Africa you've lived in the United States you've lived in Scotland <laughs> Where is what is where where is home for you and what does home mean to you
1: Home is uh, a home is a very fluid concept right a home is definitely where there's people that care home is where home is you know it's, it's funny when they say home is where you can home is where you can use the bathroom comfortably <laughs> it's the, it's the term, you know and, and that's where home is and i think in in as you mentioned those journeys what's been incredible has that the universe has always provided me with a home and I think that's a point, uh, a big part of our relationship and our friendship is that your family took me in and made a home and, you know, opened up a home to me. And um, my family was happily able to do the same thing for you. And because of that, Chicago is home for me. So um, that that's what it is. But home, South Africa, Chicago as well, I'd have to say.
0: Yes, I appreciate, like, it's more than mutual. One of the biggest, like, changes in my life was coming to Africa and finding home there right and in the way that I hope that we've provided home for you this side in, in Chicago so that's that's dope man um, so it's been a non-linear it's been a non-linear path there's a lot of there's a lot of dots on the map there um can can you describe how you got to where you are right now as a someone who's focused on impact and please don't leave out the cameras and the private jets and like, like seriously, like the shift from Mandulo Capital to Mandulo Foundation. I think some of the choices you've made are, are important for people to hear.
1: <laughs> and and I laugh because you know you you you've been there each step of the journey, so you've seen, you 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 know you you you've watched this 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 journey very closely as we have each other's, um, and if I'm being as succinct as I can be with, with all of that is it really has just been a, a moment of being very fortunate, man. It's, it's really been a, a series of very, very fortunate events. Um, one of those fortunate events was you know at least where the turning point is is that i believe you found your purpose of impact at the same time that i found my purpose of impact and because of that we're able to form a very strong bond around that and so i think how i define things is pre that moment and post that moment right now you know you got bc and ad uh <laughs> that's not before covid community <laughs> i like it you like it it's spot on that, that's that's what it's been you know and I, and um in in that journey there's been uh, I, I think it's at, at some point it became a, an exercise of entrepreneur of an entrepreneurial um route of just trying to do things by ourselves by myself whatever the case is and then before that it was just going through the process of corporate and and moving through that and i think one of the cool things is reaching what felt like a peak in corporate allowed me to see Things in a way about what really matters, and allowed me to question myself in terms of what matters. Like you said, there was the jets, there was the lights. You know, it was fun. It was, it was, a, it was a bunch of fun. Um, but also at the same time, when you're standing on, you know, when you when you when you're standing there, you think to yourself, like, all right, what 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 is next? Because this is what would be a serious accomplishment in one's life. What comes next? And that's that. That's that. Uh, a D moment. That's when you know we. I think you also were in a place. And I'd love for you to to, to get into that part of your story as well. You were in a place in corporate, um, moving quite, quite quickly up the ladder and yet still decided, listen, man, I'm going to drop this. I'm going to reject the offers that are coming to me. I'm going to, I'm going to take that step. You know what I'm saying? So I hope I I answered, I answered the question.
0: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And like, um, so I'll, I'll answer kind of, I'll, I'll share a little bit about what, what you asked about, like that transition point for me, and then I'll jump back to another question I have for you, but.
1: Are we doing these three, three? How do you want to do these?
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Um, that's cool. Do you want me to answer that question or do you want to start? Uh, do you want to start...
1: Finish yours because I have so many questions for you too, as excited I... as you were for that.
0: <laughs> so, but like, so yeah, so that transition point for me was definitely like, I think if I can be vulnerable and powerful in that for a moment. Amen. Yep. Um leaving college, especially like all the home of all the homies, I was the young one which meant like a, a bunch of the gang, a bunch of the squad graduated before me. And I think there was this moment of just being like senior, junior, end of junior year, senior in college and just being like sure I have examples in my family, but these are people that I look up to, my older brother, my dad that have made this transition to, like, being successful adults, right, as Black men and, and like, through an academic path. And I'm looking, like, can I really do this? Is this who I really want to be? You know, like, um, I'm, I am I'm, studied economics in in college, but I, it didn't really connect with me the way that I thought it would, partly because they're very particular about the type of economics they teach you in these institutions, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I wanted to, I just latched on to, like, all right, I'm out. Let me get a job. Let me start making some money. Let me build a house. And from there, I can figure out what I want to do. And I started working in this corporate job, which was actually, like, for what it was, it was cool. Like, people my age, people that were also in that same uncertain position, people I could connect with and do happy hour with, and it was dope. But I was working really, really hard to, like, make corporations money. And at the same time, I'm being inspired by, you know, reading Cornell West and reading Angela Davis and reading, and, like... All of these things that really inspire me are, are tugging me back towards community. Meanwhile, I left college. I moved to the south side of Chicago, back where like my family is from. So there's there's tug toward community. And at a certain point, I just realized, well, let me stop putting all this effort in to make corporations money. I made it, I landed, I got a job, I have something on my resume that's an actual company that has employed me. Like it is possible. I'm employable. Now, after two years, because it wasn't a right-away thing, but after two years of doing that building a little foundation i was like let me jump to see if there's an opportunity for me to use these same skills towards something that's community focused hard to make that a short answer but
1: it is it is yeah yeah one thing about one thing about you is that you've always been about that right and i don't think you know i don't think maybe you had realized it completely but since i met you uh, many many years ago at this point now you you've always been about how do i how do i want to help my community i don't care what it is i want to i want to help my community and going into corporate seemed to be um one way to try and help the community i right, let me get the bag and see how i can help my community yep. do, you know through getting the bag and then from there I, you know it was cool to watch your transformation where you're just like you know what dude forget the bag i'm just gonna i'm going right in literally to the community
0: yeah, I think there was there was a there's a point for and everybody's calling is different, but there was a point for me when I was examining the ways in which like and again like this leaked into our last conversation too, but America is a very particular place for black people. And having been raised in Chicago, in the suburbs, like where I had different, less uh risk factors and a lot more like Doing good in school meant something, right? Like it was it was crazy. And having this perspective put me in this position where it was like, all right, well, I feel like I have to, I have to give back. And so for me, it became it wasn't enough to be like, oh, I'm gonna be a, at first it was like, I'm gonna be a lawyer that helps. I'm gonna be an entrepreneur that helps. And just the way that the life was pulling me was like, nah, nah, nah. Help first, right? Like, you know, and uh I think a big a big shift in that too was I got to go to a I got to go to uCLA when I was in, when I was in high school, and I got to hear Lupe Fiasco and Cornell West speak um, and it was around the time that Cornell West was really pushing this this phrase that has been co- become like synonymous with him, which is, You can't lead the people if you don't love the people, and you can't save the people if you don't serve the people yeah. And I think there was that was something that I heard early. And then slowly started to manifest in me where it was like, nah, service has to come first for me. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I, I've been on the path I've been on. All
1: right. So that kind of like is, is a perfect starting point for my first question for you. Um, as you say, like uh, this path that you're on, right? So if you Google Miles Xavier now, what you'll find is just a whole bunch of um, Miles Xavier does this, Miles Xavier doing this. You know, there's, there's going to be mentions of your name and your face. Uh, doing work and sitting with some of the big decision makers in Chicago. Um, yet, you know, you, I know you, and you're very, um, you're very, uh, let's say you're not, not a reserved person, but you're very careful about what you want to, what you put out there about who you are and your personal life, whatever the case is. Um, but you do so much more than what I think you can just Google about you. So what does Miles Xavier do? Ah. Dope, dope. You beat me to the punch. This was
0: my next question for you. I wanted you to list <laughs> out some of the different like areas and sectors too. So this is perfect. Yeah. Um, I am I work in I work in I serve the community like first and foremost, right? So I I try and reduce violence in the community through the Center for Youth Violence Prevention. Um, I'm the project director of that in Chicago. Um I also just completed a service year with the chicago food depository which had me tapped into a food pantry that was doing amazing things in bronzeville and inglewood that has me thinking all kinds of like dope radical thoughts about how we connect food pantries as this place where the people who are most in need of service come regularly um but also like that place filled me up not only with ideas but just like the love that's in that place through the struggle um both the people serving and receiving was incredible so I got to mention my work with the Food Depository and with Chosen Tabernacle. Shout out Pastor Gillespie. Uh, both of y'all, you know what I'm saying? It's love. And um, what else? I'm, I'm on the associate board of this organization called CHAT, which uh, advocates for speech and language therapy, um, especially for folks in underserved communities, but actually just lifting up that speech and language therapy can help so many people in so many different ways. Uh, so that's, that's an important part of trying to bring wraparound services Uh, to the communities that I work with. Um, I try and tap in as much as I can with the Chicago Race Riots of 1919 project, which is all about acknowledging the history of racial violence in Chicago from the race riot of 1919. We all hear about the Chicago fire. Now Mrs. O'Leary's cow started a fire in Chicago, but we don't really hear about the race riot. And that actually has uh, value as kind of an origin point historically for racial segregation um, and the racial dynamics that keep Chicago as segregated as, as it is. And so... I lift up their work. We're trying to get some art installations throughout the city. Um, Basically, I build capacity for community led initiatives. Right. I try and help them whatever they need, whether it's connecting to other organizations, whether it's finding a space, whether it's finding volunteers, whether it's supporting their events, whether it's spreading awareness, whether it's getting a grant together and actually applying for something that like constitutes reparations for a certain community like. We're doing all that. And I'm I'm lucky to be able to to be in a position to address all of these
1: different sectors um, through my work. Woo, what a list. What a list. And even in there, you I, I I know what's in the pipe works. You haven't mentioned this job that you do that you're doing currently right now. You know, you didn't mention some of the other things as well. So um, obviously the list goes on, but it's I think it's great to be able to to hear you really put out, you know what it is in almost totality, your involvement with the city that you love and the city that you've made my second home.
0: Yeah, but speaking of second homes, I can't pass it off to you without the perfect segue of also doing the work in my second home, serving as uh, the director of international outreach for the Mandulo Foundation, which is a big part of my brother's story. So as you include your titles and all the things that you're working on right now, please bring that one to the forefront
1: too. For sure, for sure. Obviously, uh, what, what I do is what I like to call a, is being a, a business creative and, and an and a impact creative. I really do see my, my path and my, op, my occupation as a creative experience. And that finds itself in a way of uh, being the director of Mandula Foundation. Uh, something that we started in 2018, a NGO that, you know, we, we big up that we, we talk about and highlight over here often, but an NGO of, um, family really, you know, um, the family and the, seeing the talent that our, our joint family has and seeing the, the passion that everybody has about impact and being able to put organization around that, um, to achieve similar goals, you know? So being able to pull that together, our first outing together as a as a business creative, as, as an impact creative, was trying to feed people during COVID-19 and we were able to be rather successful with that endeavor, um, only in the fact that people were fed. And we expanded that and then, you know, we included the food depository, which you were manning that site in Chicago, trying to expand what that impact looks like. And then opening up ourselves to, Enjoy the spoils of what it feels like to do uh, good work. Uh, what it feels like to work hard as a team to achieve good work, and allowing that to shape into the organization that we have now, um, with, with uh, a, a full pipeline of things to do, with a long list of uh, near objectives and a long list of um, accomplishments that that we're that we're racking up and that we're going towards. So. Um, there's that element of it which is which is a big part of my identity and what i do because it all centers around impact and um, you know from that uh co-founder of chummy which is a uh an e-commerce uh e-commerce solution in namibia sp- uh, specifically thinking if you think at the moment uber eats you know that's is, essentially is what it is but we've got so many even in there we're what we're trying to build is a platform that allows people to be able to make money you know we want one of the drivers to be able to make money the merchants to be able to make money the people that we hire to be able to make money and and really grow this into uh, a uh, an opportunity for people that in namibia is the second highest unemployment rates in the world so understanding what that community needs and then again being fortunate to stumble into um this type of thing, really, the universe just keeps laying these op- these types of opportunities out, uh, and from there, you know, we, the journey is the, the journey is the journey is long. We've got uh, the our coming startup right now. We're in the middle of prototyping a, a new whole new idea and product that we're going to be bringing out into the market around investing and uh, ethical investing and sustainability, bringing the truth of information to people. Um, allowing them to invest in exotic currencies, you know, uh, really taking this idea of impact and of ethics and of sustainability and of making a change and applying that to every different outlet um, that we have in a creative manner. So the the calendar is full, but so is the so is the list of things that we're doing to change our communities.
0: Yes, sir. So as you look at this, like fleet. Of, of ships at which you are like the captain or the first mate like you you are you're heavily involved at the helm what's what would you
1: say is like your overall mission you know what I mean that's such a good question that, that's such a good question what I'd have to say my overall mission is um, is to continue to adhere to what the universe is 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 I understand that the universe operates in kindness, right? And I also understand that everything that we do now with the right intention lays a foundation for somebody else to do something great. Um, it could be, you know, uh, it, it could be just a simple opportunity like we did recently of being able to get a young lady a scholarship from an orphanage and then give her a laptop, like, completely believing, like, this child can really change the world, you know? And Trying to get them to be able to believe it too, and doing what we can to spend time with the with these kids and help them realize, like, hey, the limitations to what you want to become are just dependent on what you're willing to do. That, what you're willing to do to get there. And so, my mission, I believe, is to be able to bring that type of opportunity to as many children as possible. Um, And and I would like for that to be my contribution towards my tenure here on this rock that we all share
0: yeah i like i like i love the way that you the way that you phrased that cuz that is so true to how i see you operate you know what i mean like so as you think about bringing resources to communities and kids that don't have access what are your thoughts on why these disparities in access exist in the first place and how do we address like the root cause of why you got to go give somebody a laptop rather than why they don't you know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and you're stealing my question time by the way too you totally stealing my question time because
0: I, I got to hear what you got to say i got to
1: so the question is uh what do i think are the causes of what we're seeing you like yeah what are the what are
0: the why is like yours everything you described is bringing people the resources that they need to survive food right giving them access to technology the resources that they need to compete in a modern environment but you're addressing all of these disparities it seems like all of these gaps Mm -hmm. all of these like like why does why does soweto look like it does you know what i mean like why is and why is it up to you and chills and mo and p um and all the other organizations that are are for the people to come and fix this
1: You know, it's the beautiful thing about perspective and the beautiful thing about being able to do the work that we do, um, spreading across Chicago and South Africa. And something we joke about all the time is connecting the diaspora um, and, and seeing what that actually looks like. But the issues tend to be very similar. You know, maybe the way in which the actions that follow the issue are, are different, but the underlining issues are, are quite the same in that there is a significant lack of infrastructure and infrastructure and capital support in certain communities. And what then happens from there is a almost predictable path of how families are put together and or how families are split apart about the educational opportunities that children are able to um, have access to and what that means. A great study by Malcolm Gladwell was that they looked at the top- uh, the, they were looking at the, the the kids with the highest IQs from the age of five and they and they it was a long blown study all the way up until the age of I think about 30, 40. And so in that time what they did is all the you know the kids with the highest IQs they wanted to see what ends up happening to the kids that score the highest on test scores and whatever and are over um, statistically more intelligent than the rest of the kids um, and over time uh, it, 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 it it fluctuates in terms of what people end up becoming the key determinant of which one of those kids was would not be able to succeed was uh, income family household household income Right. So poverty was literally the biggest determining factor in that study of whether a child is able to succeed or not. And understanding that type of statistic is, you know, that I think that's what gets to the root of of that issue is the fact that you restrict some things within a community. And this is what ends up happening, which is and, and... my bad, my bad. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you a similar question that I wanted to uh, ask about Chicago.
0: Well, right quick, right quick, because like where does that poverty come from you know what I mean in South Africa because in Chicago I know and everybody who has ever listened to this podcast know where I'm about to go with it so I want <laughs> <laughs> I want to know where where you feel like that poverty comes from and how we address the root cause of it in, in the South African context
1: man funny enough it's, the, the answer is going to be closer to Chicago as well right which is um which is the the disenfranchising of people, um, specific putting people in specific locations. Soweto being uh, geographically far from the major cities and policed heavily as well, that type of thing. Um, back in the day, so it's uh, it's the same issue that Chicago that Chicago particularly has. But where I'm at in in my juncture of, of activism and why I call myself an activist is that I'm no longer looking at the 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 who who brought us to where we are now. I'm looking at what we can do in order to change tomorrow that's what I'm looking at what I'm focused on is what my contribution is gonna be towards the change and so what that looks like in practice and why why I call it myself an activist if you go on my LinkedIn that's my first thing is that everything is a protest where like and I hate to be that that type of artist but it's real like it, everything is a protest where With Mandula Foundation, we're protesting that poverty by bringing solutions. With um, what we're doing in Chomi, we're protesting that unemployment by bringing jobs to the people. Um, We do that in a financial sense with financial literacy and that type of thing. So the focus is on being the solution, not necessarily looking at who, who caused it. But if we're speaking about cause solutions and situations, none is more famous than... Chicago, which is infamously named Chirac, right? Uh, a moniker which has been rather controversial, um, a, a nickname that has been rather controversial, implying that Chicago is like the war that was happening in Iraq and putting that together um, based on the type of, the type of uh, killing that's happening. One thing that I always get when I say, hey, man, you know, I'm South African by way of Chicago um, what people like to say is, "Oh man, like the almost media, like what there's a lot of killing there. What's up with that? What's up with that?" Um, you being so close to that matter and speaking about the, the where issues come from, could you speak more towards what you believe is happening in Chicago and like how what you would do if you're given a magic wand in order to be able to to fix it?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, in Chicago, people hurt. People are hurting people. And I know for some people that might sound like it's cliche or it's overused, right? But it's this thing we refuse to acknowledge is that, like, and in, in speaking specifically about America now, right? Like, Black people have been, as you, met, as you said, disenfranchised, have been oppressed, have been denied their humanity, and then denied political participation and then denied the right to even amass a fortune on our own and be left alone. Right. So like
1: still happening.
0: So in the United States, like our, like you asked me specifically about Chicago, right? In Chicago, right, we have we have these things called restrictive covenant. Like Chicago, the a big part of the black population moved to Chicago after the Great Migration which is when a bunch of Black people that were living in the south of the United States and were under the, the oppression of Jim Crow, which followed slavery, right? Which meant that there was the separate water fountains we see. It was the separate buses or having to sit in the back of the bus for Black people. All the segregation by law, right? Black people were like, we ain't with this. We're trying to go to the North. In the North, there was segregation by fact, de facto segregation, which just meant that it was understood that white people and black people didn't do the same things in the same places, but it wasn't enforced by law in the same way, right? Or it wasn't codified by law in the same way. It was enforced, right? And so part of that, part of the segregation was also restrictive covenants, which meant that they were selling homes in valuable areas of Chicago with the express condition that if you buy this home, you cannot sell it to a black person after that, right? There were areas of... There's what we know of as redlining, right, which is selecting specific parts of the city, particularly those with black people and other people of color, and saying these are the areas where it's not to be invested in, right? So as the United States tries to—this is all happening in the 1920s after the the New Deal, right? And so as the United States tries to recover from the Great Depression and offers white people all of these opportunities for home ownership, which then becomes the— Number one way that people in America amass wealth, right, and, and with wealth, safety and status, right, and also political clout and a bunch of other things, Black people are excluded from that. So you exclude Black people from that, you put them in these certain areas, then when they try and build things like community in whatever you provide them with, whether it's public housing, then you tear that public housing down and disperse people, right? They start to build communities in their schools and you tear those schools down. The largest closings of both public housing and of schools have both occurred within Chicago, right? So when you strip these things that keep communities together and allow the factors that bring people together in informal ways, right? The fact that I look out for the other kids on a block. If I see some kids doing something they're not supposed to be doing, I'm gonna let somebody know, right? When you tear down our schools and you tear down the housing, you, you break those things in community. Right. And you don't allow people to work certain jobs. You limit the transportation, even the infrastructure to get downtown where the jobs are. Like you've completely cut these people off. I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot, but let me give you this analogy, right? Imagine we're all playing Monopoly. And for 400 rounds, (laughs) you cannot play. And then after 400 rounds of us playing Monopoly, I give you $200 and I say, you good jump in this game, go ahead and play. You're gonna look for somebody to get some money from or some reason or some go to jail, go to jail, Blackie. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, what we're looking at is the situation where we keep saying we keep as a country and as a city saying we've done enough to help these black people. We don't know why that they're doing all this violence, but really, you we we have not done enough to heal the people that have been excluded from this. And have had to contribute to all of this wealth building and been excluded from the benefits for hundreds and hundreds of years. And until we address how we've treated those people, us, how we address, until we address the resources that they now need to be whole and come to the table on some kumbaya stuff, on some let's all work together now stuff, we're not whole yet. And part of the reason why I pushed you so hard in this conversation about South Africa is like, I think you need to, we need to, part of, repairing the harm that's been done to communities of color by colonialism by white people is acknowledging that harm and and like we keep trying to put the the cake in the oven without all the ingredients and one of the ingredients is acknowledgement and we're trying to keep putting the cake in the oven and say we're just gonna build wealth out of this but there are still racist structures in place that destroy our wealth even when we try and build it destroy our wealthy people Acknowledgement is part of that cake that we need to, that, that we need to, that we're trying to bake of equality. I ranted enough.
1: The name of this show is called Acknowledgement Cake. <laughs> <laughs> but you feel me? I do, I do. And, I, and in the same way that you said at the beginning of this, this is, and, and we're running, we're running long, long on this, but, but i because we've got so much more content to get to, I still would love to hear, you know, Miles has a dream. What is your dream for Chicago? My
0: my dream for Chicago is take seriously movements to fund community-led initiatives to build community. Put the power in the hands of the people. And that doesn't mean that it can't be evidence-based. That doesn't mean that it can't be rigorously evaluated. But we continue to rely on policing. We continue to criminalize and over-surveil communities of color. We continue to, and this is beyond like issues of racism, right? We have to lift up women. We have to stop treating women the way that we treat them. We have to make sure that their voices are heard. Like we, my, my dream, if, if we're keeping it to policy, is like, all right, fine, fund these people. Fund the people that are doing the work on the ground and, and listen to the, these communities who we all just, like, love to turn on the TV and be like, oh, it's so sad what's happening there. Listen to what they're saying and, and implement it, right? It's a, such a deep, it's, it's such a, so much of a deeper conversation than, like, if you had a magic wand, what would you, like, what would you do? I would, I would make people take community-led initiatives more as seriously as they take policing. Let's start there.
1: And until that happens, you can best believe over here on the All The Way Live podcast, we'll continue to highlight the people that are doing that good work. We'll continue to dedicate ourselves towards making sure that those people have a voice, they get acknowledged. And we also like to do a little something called Current News. Yes, sir. So, current news today is particularly serious. After weeks of serious, serious discussions covering all sorts of wars, atrocities, and immigration issues, we had to come up with some light.
0: (laughs) We tried to come up with something light. Although, fam, we've we've researched a lot of things on this podcast. (laughs) Like, I have entered many a Google search into my laptop and phone for to curate content for y'all's cranium. I... <laughs> nothing has messed up my algorithms as quickly as Googling why aren't men having enough sex. Like, this was a mine, Right? It gave you <laughs> suggestions? Come on, man. Hot girls in your city now. But, like, it was like, okay, yeah, well, first of all, there's a lot of creeps out there, but it was also like, like, I mean, like, seriously, like, but personality, like, YouTube personalities that people should investigate. But also, like, my ads immediately shifted to, like, dick pills and just, like, weird <laughs> stuff, like, guns. Like, I'm that <laughs> serious. I'm so serious. I'm so serious. My YouTube ads switched immediately to, like, guns and, like, just all sorts of strangeness, man, like, which I think to wow. me... There's a community or a profile of person like people are looking this up, and there's <laughs> a other group of other things that they're looking up, and it's alarming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Viagra and guns immediately after—that's a terrible combination. <laughs> Words. <laughs> but that being <laughs> but that being said, uh, what the actual study is—a study came out that 30 percent less men between the ages of 18 and 30 are. Uh, are having sex 30% less, right? So indicating that there's been a massive decline in the amount of partners that people are having. Uh, People specifically were saying, uh, reporting that people have 62, sex 62 times a year, which that number has gone down to about 50, 54 this year, right? So there is a, a steep decrease in these numbers that people are seeing across the board, which begs us to have to ask ourselves in the name of content information and sharing Um, Why is that the case? Why are men specifically having less sex? You asking me? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Dude, you're you're the expert. Uh, I'm the expert on Uh, having
0: sex. Sexpert. See, this is why this is, that's my brother. Only my brother would would do the due diligence to label me as the expert of not having sex. But hear me now, non (laughs) sex All right. Uh, I think, I mean, when I jump to, like, what I really think is going on, like, a big part of it is, like, social media. But it's funny that you put me as the expert because, right, like, dating has shifted to the, to the phone, right? And I was actually the person that refused. I've never had Tinder, never had Hinge, never had Bumble, never had Stumbled Upon. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I never had any of the dating apps. So it's funny because it's, like, the... The culture has shifted completely to that, and even now that it's in the palm of your hand, people are having less sex. So that's crazy to me.
1: But that speaks to a bit of the statistic where they're saying that the increase in social media usage has an increase in anxiety and depression, and both of those things are a counter um, motivator for the uh, for people to pursue sex. Um, some of the studies also saying are uh, the theories around them is the fact that. Uh, the pursuit of sex or the at least the process of getting emotion forward because even at the very least if you want to have sex you need to be in motion towards it unless it's right next to you so there is a mobility and a pursuit-esque um, innate instinct for us to be able to pursue sex in that way so when you move that towards the phone and you move that towards online specifically with online porn what you end up you know that's some, some of the theories that have been brought up it's the porn (laughs) y'all shocker i was timing
0: how long it took porn to come into this conversation (laughs) three minutes not bad
1: uh yeah it's kind of obvious when you when you bring it up like that it's like better having less sense but but, watching a lot more porn yeah and and the technical term that i came
0: across and like checking this out was that uh, the internet has made it really easy to satisfy our social and our sexual needs um and there's far less there's Not as much incentive to go out and, like, in the real world, to satisfy those needs. And I ain't gonna lie to you. It's been a couple of times where staying at home with the laptop was the right decision. All right. Amen to that. That's that's important to say. But I think there's like there's a question here of like, first of all, wait, men are having less sex, but like, how much sex should we be having? I think there's like an underlying thing that we're always like more, but like. But is that the case? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think we're conditioned to think like by porn in a lot of ways that we're supposed to be like having sex a lot,
1: you know, and well, and that's not all. Yeah. Well, the number that I came across is that the average amount of partners that a person has within a lifetime is between two and three. So I know that was my (laughs) reaction. (laughs) Right, correct, indeed. Indeed, that checks out. So that that was kind of a, that that was included. You're right, there is a a big element of it, which is the the porn impact on sex expectation and sexual health. A big part of the number why people also having less sex, uh, at least with women, is that their first sexual encounters are not pleasant encounters and therefore associate pain towards that and end up becoming, and end up just, you know, staying away from that act because of the initial pain of somebody who did not know what they were doing or were doing, recreating porn scenes and porn-like things, like choking a woman type thing. Uh You're saying that that's increasing. Women saying that their first sexual encounter wasn't pleasant, is it increasing? No. Th- saying that a reason that women have noted having less sex is the fact that uh, the, their first experience is not pleasant. And okay. therefore, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, it's interesting. So, like, when you look at the numbers of people having less sex and you think about, hopefully, people being more informed about what consent is and sex, in a lot of ways, becoming less taboo in popular culture, you would hope that, like, consent is being better understood. So maybe a small fraction of these numbers is, like you're saying, women that aren't all the way into it or aren't sure that they want to have sex with this person and are feeling more comfortable saying no, right? Um, In situations where previously because of the societal pressure we've put uh, on women and the lack of discussion until the last decade or so right where if I'm alone with this person and we like each other I guess we're gonna have sex like you know and maybe hopefully I'm just trying to be optimistic but maybe part of it is people yeah understanding like both partners saying no in a context of like oh well we've both got drunk we're both drinking but we know that that's not that that impedes consent. I'm hoping that maybe some of these numbers are people being more informed and being more conscientious about the
1: types of sex we're having. Yeah, so part of even the change in the social dynamic right is part of it is that what people the act of approaching people is different, like we've said a lot of a lot of engagements and interaction is online, and also people have most sex when they're in a relationship, and relationship numbers are decreasing as well. Um, and that's across the board. And part of the reasons that that might be able to happen is if you take into account, you know, we have been saying men, uh, uh, depression, anxiety, those mental health issues on a on an all-time low, or mental health issues at an all-time high. Let me say. Um, and so you factor that into play, and then that gives you a certain element of it. Also, um, when because of the economy, some people a lot of. A lot more men are going now back home to live with their parents and live in the household with their uh with their mom that type of thing that turns out statistically gentlemen is going to decrease your chances <laughs> your mother certainly hopes so
0: <laughs> respect your mama's house y'all for real
1: yeah you respect your mama's house but funny enough the big one of the another determinant which i found funny but doesn't necessarily speak to statistic but more so towards how we end up choosing partners is that somebody's body odor is one of the largest uh predeterminers of if somebody's going to find someone attractive or not to be able to sleep with almost making it a deal breaker
0: interesting that's funny. I've never, I've never thought about that so much in the context of like the initial phases of a relationship. But it is something that like partners have asked for. Like, give me something that smells like you, and I'll be like, here go a gym shirt. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like, <laughs> you know, as somebody who doesn't really put on like clone like that, like that. You know, it'd just be the natural berries and juices. But it's funny, and and especially now being in a long distance relationship, I've come to understand it more. Because, like, Shorty will leave stuff around the crib, but she's got this one scarf that smells like her. And that's that's evocative, you know what I mean? It Like, really, smell, I think, is one of those underrated senses that we don't really think of as transporting us to a place in the same way that vision, obviously, hearing, and even taste. But
1: that'll do it to you. Right, so talking about that that smell and sense of taste, what they call the bi-directional effect is the time when women and men find each other most attractive. And they did, a study was conducted to test that type of thing out where they would have blind studies that leave men's uh, clothes that smelt like men out, and then a woman would have to choose which one she finds more attractive. And they also did the same thing about a man's symmetry. Uh, and it turns out that during a woman's pre-ovulation phase, women will find men more attractive. The same rating she would give a shirt or whatever okay. before a uh, would give it after ovulation it would decrease, but right the moment before it is heightened, same thing with taste. What's interesting is that a man finds a woman more attractive too at that same period by doing the same study, smelling, uh, smelling her clothes and uh, looking at symmetry. So a man will also find a woman who's more closer to pre-ovulation, more attractive. And
0: that's the period that immediately precedes her period too. So I do just be so frustrated, you know. (laughs) She'd be like, Oh man, you look good. She'd be like, No, we'd be like, Oh. (laughs) But yeah, man, these are funny things. Like, it is I love these conversations too, breaking down some of these like taboos because men don't know enough about female reproductive health. Like, we gotta break down these barriers to where, like, yo, you should know what type of tampons or pads your girl uses and be able to like hook her up if she needs that like you like we can we can be better at just like we all still giggle like we're little and that's cool to giggling but we still gotta act grown about it you know what I mean we can take care of each other get tested a eh? you know that's a big one please yeah. yo that that's such a big one you know what I'm saying like people are having less sex like and we're getting into a broader conversation of just about sex again in a modern age which is one of our favorite topics you know shout out to the live nation who who, who enjoys these this content as well. But, like, yeah, man. It, part of it is, this is an opportunity, right? Again, I, I would love... I want people, I wish, like, yo, in the comments, tell us what you think. Like, how much sex are we supposed to be having? Maybe we're having less sex because we're thinking more, we're being more selective. In some ways, those can be good things. Now, we have countries and spaces that are examples <laughs> of what happens when it goes too far. But, you know what I'm saying? I just think we all man as, as maybe I'm traumatized from my research, but like the obsessiveness with having sex and using it as a validation for your own like humanity like as if you deserve it like that's such a problem so i'm I guess what I'm trying to introduce is the notion that it's cool not to be out here running through sex on a regular
1: basis, like that's okay i I like that I like that point, It's just like, yo, look, even if you're not what you know in constant pursuit skirt chasing that's cool if you're not doing that that does not reflect the reality of a majority of men especially those that are busy those that are they grind those that are preoccupied you know what i mean the that opportunity of doing that decreases now granted um anything is possible if you put your intention behind it if you really want to make that a priority there's many things that you could do, do in order to be able to increase your uh, level of attractiveness, your exposure to people that you want to get with. Because that's also important because of how lonely people feel. People are also here craving intimacy and also craving partnership. So if, you know, one, understanding the difference between those two things, intimacy and partnership, um, but it doesn't take away from the things that people can do in order to get themselves to be more attractive. Um, it's yeah. small things. even. Yeah. And I think, man, you bodied it,
0: right? Like, Recognize what you're craving, whether it is partnership, whether it is intimacy, whether it is just sex, and recognize that you might have to start with friendship first or an introduction first or straight up rejection first, because that's how a lot of these things start. The landscape is changing. Like we said, a lot of it is moving online. So it's normal to be rejected trying to talk to somebody in person. Be very careful about the way that you try to do that, because the way that we think about even how appropriate that is, is changing not being prescriptive, different things are going to work for different people, but I love what you said about, like, if, the, if, if you really are, you know, if you feel like you're not having as much sex as you want to be having, think about where you need to start, and what's the, where the appropriate place to start, and a lot of that is get up, get outside, step away from the laptop and the lotion, you know?
1: <laughs> you, feel, you feel me? You feel me? <laughs> definitely step away from the laptop and lotion because there's a addictive characteristic behind that.
0: There's an addictive characteristic, and I think we're caught in this space, man, like, where people, especially young men, feel like, yo, we deserve, like, sex. If we're good people, if we're good young men, like, we we should be, like, women should throw themselves at us, right? And consent. Like, on, off rip. But the thing is, like, there's a difference between our basic <laughs> human needs and everybody else being responsible for providing that for you right so like just because you feel the urge to have sex doesn't mean that any woman in your life in your proximity is responsible for making that happen for you right that's that's still on you and there's a possessiveness that i'm seeing especially in the culture that comes up as we do a lot of this research that i don't know i there's a there's more understanding around that that's needed i think
1: that comes from the gamification of sexual attraction and of sexual engagements. Everything has gone digital. So you're able to gamify that by being able to do that, that, that redu- that reduces ones um, that reduces the, the ability to appreciate, for instance, patience, if you will, right. Uh, the ability to be able to appreciate courting and the process that it takes to be able to get to know somebody in a way that they then feel comfortable with um, allowing you to be intimate with them and the same thing vice versa this is not just for men uh but you know it's the it's the same thing for women too but being able to to swipe right and swipe the same the same fingers and screen we use to play a game is the same fingers and screen we use to choose a mate and those things are one swipe away sometimes one command away and because of how close they are to each other in order to be able to separate how we approach both of those things becomes difficult so that's why yeah, man. I think a lot of what we're just saying is just be
0: thoughtful about how the influences that are allowing you, that are controlling these urges. Like These are powerful urges. Like you said, like on a biological level, these are some of the most powerful urges we have. And when they're influenced by businesses, because that's what porn is, is a business, right? It's a business that like tries to give you your, present your fantasy as something that's real without telling you, like, they done took eight breaks. He done took 12 dick pills like she is not enjoying this like she is is saying like so they're selling you this thing and making you want to keep coming back to this thing and it doesn't represent what we should actually be pursuing in real life right it's a business they want they that they generating revenue through this so just be mindful of the ways that what we consume impacts like really really your urges and your body and the way you move it in these streets move cautious
1: move cautious and if the vulnerable is still powerful uh, and in speaking about and then opening up about my own story and like where where i'm at g same what you're saying about understanding things are like urges that's 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 how my relationship with sex is is understanding that it is a urge much like any other type of urge to eat because it's something that you can become addicted to and it also is a, a endorphin recent it's a it's an endorphin based uh but then based value that you get once you you know that's what you em- emit in your brain so that feeling you can get addicted to which is why porn addiction is so frequent um you know it's the same thing why people can also become a- obsessed with the pursuit of sex that type of thing happens too so in my life I'm just trying to be able to regulate all of my um and all of my urges and controlling them to you know trying to be the master of my urges. Yeah,
0: man. I like that. I like what you said. It's it's about just being mindful. Mindful of why you're doing what you're doing, knowing yourself and uh yeah, man. Keeping it real
1: with yourself. For sure. Keeping it real. Keeping about it habits, real. You know? Indeed. Indeed. Mr. Miles Xavier, I think we done served up people a good amount of why people are not having sex. We done told you to put the lotion and laptop away. We gave you that. <laughs> yeah, where else? where else what people love about this show a favorite part of people's part the favorite part of the show for most people and the one that keeps people coming back is a little section that we call recommended Review." review yeah. mm,
0: butch coming scary this is uh, one of my favorite artists in hip hop right now um, this is an artist that like when you the good thing about like when you have a favorite artist in the game is that like his approach I love to the music so when I hear Benny all Benny is good Benny to me uh, this one to talk for. Is a follow up to Tana Talk Three. That might that might be one of the projects that really launched him, really, or at least was coming out when he was hitting his stride. So a much anticipated follow up. What you think of this one, man? I know you a big Griselda fan.
1: Big BSF, big Griselda fan. The last show, live show that me and Miles went to before COVID was the Griselda show in House of Blues, Chicago um so big time long time fans of uh griselda it's griselda's at a very particular interesting point now because there's a bunch of contracts that are expiring at the same time there's a bunch of people there's a bunch of new labels that are formulating and the original structure that was had of griselda seems to be um evolving uh which is always great to see you know every everybody has their own label type of situation so um it's the in leading up to this album dropping, Benny dropped a, a date on the snippet. You know, we we run to every Benny snippet and we share it amongst the crews. We love that type of thing. Um, he dropped that snippet and was like, hey, this is when the album's coming out. We got hyped. We got excited. They changed that date. I think this was his last album on Shady, if I don't recall correctly. But all to say, the fourth installation of the Tana Talk series, uh, Tana Talk 3, arguably being held as Benny's best album um, that that's the and that's the the consensus is folks are saying talent Talk 3 is the one but so coming off of Ten 4 man we had super super high expectations of what to be able to get into it. Did he deliver on the big name series? I think it depends on what you were looking for. Um,
0: I think Benny is an artist who can do a couple of different things very well, right? He can make the grimiest of the grimiest buffalo representing hip-hop that you want and he can make a very uh elegant classy type of of gangster music that i feel like is reminiscent of of rick ross um and kind of this this push to yeah really really take hip-hop to a place where it can represent the streets but it can also represent success right and and the production i think on this album represents um him trying to showcase his ability to do both. This one, I mean, a cold feature, that's something different for a Benny the Butcher album, right? A Diddy feature, that's something different for from a Benny the Butcher album, right? So I think there was an attempt at a little bit more polish here. Um, that I don't necessarily that, that doesn't make it my favorite, but I think especially when you when you talk about lyrically, when you talk about his ability to be sharp and to show that he's in shape with his pen and continue to deliver lyrics and and bars that remind us why he is where he is in the game, I definitely think he delivered. I didn't pull as many favorites as I usually do from a Benny album, but hard-pressed
1: to say it's bad music, I think. Yeah, I don't think you could say that at all. And one of the things about Benny is that he's got that it factor where you want to hear everything that he says, um, which is a, a very unique a tribute to have as a rapper where no matter what you're on or what it is you're saying people feel it they believe it and they want to listen to what it is you're saying what is it that this dude is saying so and if if that is his if, if that is his great greatest attribute then he he continues that run since tana talk three he's put out seven different projects um that have come out plugs i met two um that pyrex picasso personally i think which is the album that precedes this that we did cover is one of my favorite uh offerings of from benny the butcher uh recently i love what he's doing with al camino i love what he's doing with uh 38 special and um i think it's super dope you know so coming off of this i think the big name which is Tana talk three which is a flawless uh classic album that he put out uh i don't think if anybody would disagree that Tenor Talk 3 is not only his best work, but um, a, a classic album. You know, it belongs on vinyl. It's, that's timeless hip-hop. The beats were brand new. The the By brand new, they were just uh, from a whole different type of sound at the time. You know, granted, they were making that type of music before, but Derringer and Alchemist stepping through on Tenor Talk 3 was, was the first time you hear broken bottles. You know, you can't believe what it is that you're hearing, and I think people were expecting that walking into this type of album uh still like any time benny puts out an album and i enjoy a lot of what he does like you said i don't know if this would particularly i I enjoy pirates picasso personally a bit more than that but there's like any other benny album that he gives me there's songs in here that i'm gonna pick out and probably keep listening to for a while i think what's dope
0: about benny is like you you lay late you named some projects that like you that I I don't disagree our classics and are high up there, but like I think everybody else takes something different from each Benny album, right? And so like I really liked Burden of Proof. That one didn't get as much love as you know I as much as I cared for it. Um, Plugs I met too is the Benny album that I have on vinyl that I think is the one that like you that especially on vinyl the way that that music is put together, I think that's the one. Right, so I imagine that there's somebody to whom this is the joint. Maybe it's a J. Cole fan, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe it's a 38 Special fan. I, I love, I love the versatility. So, I'm again like this is good music. Um, a couple of my highlights: Back Two Times, Stove God. If it ain't Benny, it's Stove at the top of my list. Stove goes. Yep. To me. So Back Two Times is a highlight for me. Uh, Weekends in Carrie's. Uh, I really liked Uncle Bun with 38 Special uh, and Guerrero, which actually does a lot of referencing to Tana Talk Three and a lot of the albums um, that came after it. He's kind of hall of in it on Guerrero, so yeah, man. I, I think this is a dope, a dope album. I think we all have our favorites of Benny. Um, you know, indeed,
1: indeed, indeed. I'm glad that you mentioned that uh, Guerrero, because as a Benny the Butcher fan, being able to listen to all those drops, you know, uh, paying homage to some of the last uh, to some of the last uh, pieces of work that he's done was super cool. The second half of this album for me rides so smooth uh, from Billy Joe all the way down to Mr. Child's Hall. Back to Time is dumb. The snippet that he dropped on Instagram sounded different than this. And I like that. I like the burst that he had on the snippet for that back two times, man. We, well that that this ain't what you want. That's what we wanted, man. It's the curse of a true hip-hop fan. If you heard
0: things that you weren't supposed to hear, now you wanna hear. <laughs> now you want to hear more. But yeah, man, I'm I'm appreciative of, of this man dropping music. This is an artist that I really want to see live now that things are happening again. So I hopefully get the chance to do that. Maybe this summer, this fall with my brother. Who knows? Uh-huh. Uh, let us know what type of shows that y'all would want to go to A lot of music came out this week So we know uh, we could get to the Dave East. We know we could get to the Dirkio
1: um, As a Chicago podcast, we might have to do that Let us know what y'all want to hear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We might just have to circle back to that Dirkio next week Because it is special um, Man, Mr. Maz Xavier I think it is that we know Oh, we know Clocking in at an hour 23, if you are
0: he- hearing the, the soulful sounds of, of Chestnut and me, then we know that you could be anywhere in the world, but I've chosen to rock with us, uh, I've chosen to listen to our content, have chosen to see if there was something that you could find out or see if at least there was something funny to brighten your day. We hope you found whatever you was looking for. We hope you enjoy the celebration of celebrating. We hope you enjoy the celebration of love, of happiness, of how good it feels be black don't feel good way blessed about it <laughs> blessed about it. we say that every week because we are connecting the diaspora over here but we are also taking care of each other we talked a lot about what we do you know we hope we we, we say that humbly we wanted to share a little bit about ourselves share a little bit of us with you it's not something we do easily or lightly so we hope we mm-hmm. didn't come off too vain but we just wanted to to put that out there so um Care for yourself. You you have some self-care that you need to do. You be working hard, so I need you to eat something delicious. I need you to hug somebody you love. I need you to tell the people, peace, water, and there we go.
1: Come on, man. Yeah, 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 I get that. I get that, but is we live, though? Is we, like, all the...